0: Well, good morning. morning. Let's do it again, both campuses. Good Good morning. Man, it is great to be with you this morning, North Campus, South Campus. we got our online family, people all over the world. We love sharing today with you as we celebrate, hear me, the greatest gift that has ever been given to anyone, Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're excited for Jesus, give him a shout, give him a praise. man. And if you haven't heard it already, let me be the first to say, Merry Christmas. This is our season. I know people are concerned that, man, we're going to lose Jesus in the holidays. No, we're not. Because we exist. And as long as we, his followers, exist, Jesus will be praised. Jesus will be glorified. And no matter what happens in our society, I care not, Jesus will not only be the center of our holidays, Jesus will be the center of our life because he is the one we will seek to glorify and honor in everything that we have. And that's what we are here to celebrate during this season, man. And I hope you will really be a part of sharing that hope that we have with others. Our dream is that everyone in the big country will have the hope in Jesus Christ, and that comes from us sharing. It's being part of our Born Wild event and bringing people to that, or walk to Bethlehem at the zoo. We have all sorts of opportunities for us to show the love of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I had the Lord give me a gift that I I didn't know I need. I bet if you look back on your life, you'll see that he's done that for you a lot. Everything good in our life, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift comes from our heavenly fathers of life. That's what James says. And I had the Lord do that. He gave me something I didn't even know I needed. Six or seven years ago, I, I found myself just over my head. Really, I'd been over my head for a long time. God was touching a lot of lives, just like he's doing today, a lot of lives through Beltway Park. And I found myself uh, in the point leadership of a team that was running, if I may say, just kind of a big organization. Well beyond my abilities. I'll be really honest with you. Um, We outpunted my leadership abilities as a church a long time ago. And if you ask David, do you know what you're doing? The answer is no, I I really don't. But I know the one who does. And our job as a leadership is just stay in tune with him and keep in step with him, and God will take us where we need to go. Uh, At an event for pastors, I I met a man. His name was Toby Slough. If you've been around Beltway, you know Toby. Toby's the bald-headed guy that comes in from Dallas and preaches and yells like I do and such. And I had never met Toby, and we we met at that event. We talked, and we found ourselves talking on the phone a great deal. And at some point in that journey, it hit me. This man gets me. It's not like he understands kinda. He, he really understands. He really understands the struggles and the things that I face in this role that seems to be overwhelming. Now, please don't mishear me. I am not saying that my role is any more stressful than your role. I have discovered that every station in life, no matter what it is, has stress. Life itself has stress because of the fallen nature of humanity. Every situation God calls us to has struggles and difficulties. But we can also um, be honest enough to say that each individual station in life, each unique situation has unique struggles, has unique problems, unique stresses. And I got to know Toby, he got it. Like I would share with him something going on in my world of leadership, and he would share with me something very, 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 very similar, and how the Lord had given him victory over that, and it encouraged me in that way, and I would do the same thing with him. And that actually continues to this day. You see, there is a power when you have someone in your life that doesn't kind of understand, but that they really understand. I mean, come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's something powerful about being in a friendship, being in a relationship with someone who is where you are, who has been where you have been. So people who wrestle with addictions, man, they have a special empathy with someone going through an addiction. You get preschool moms, man, they band together. Because preschool moms, they get it, that they are in this unique situation that they absolutely love and adore their kids, but they also acknowledge reality. They're exhausting, right? All the preschool moms said. See, they're even too tired to say amen to it. (laughs) Adult children who are navigating, serving, and honoring their aging parents. You just name the situation. There's something when there's somebody in your life who's been there or who is there and cannot just kind of understand but really understand. I want you to listen to me this morning. There's something powerful shouted in the Christmas story that I think we miss. In fact, I think we miss it in our Christianity. And there's something God wants us to grab hold of. See, in the Christmas story, God is shouting to us, Jesus not only understands some, not kind of, listen to me, Jesus really understands. And the place that is shouted in the Christmas story is probably going to feel unlikely to you. But just stick with me. It is told in Matthew's Gospel. It's the only place you find this part of the Christmas story. You can read it this week, the verse, 12 verses of chapter 2 of Matthew. But verse 1 says, now after... Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, when you read the New Testament, you're going to find there's Herods everywhere. There's more than one Herod. There's actually four Herods. So you got to go figure out which Herod. This is daddy Herod. This is the big dude. Okay? This is in the days of Herod king. Behold, wise men. Say wise men. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Isn't that interesting? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now, we have no idea when the Bible says the wise men came from the east, we don't know what the east is. We just know it's east of Jerusalem. Some scholars have speculated that it might be southern Arabia because the gifts we're going to talk about here in a moment were common to southern Arabia. Other scholars have said, no, they came for the king of the Jews and they were likely part of the Jewish remnant that remained in Babylon. If you remember back in the Old Testament, because of their disobedience, Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years into Babylon. Many of them returned to Israel, but some stayed in Babylon, which is modern-day Iran and Iraq. We don't know where they came from. Here's what we do know. It is highly likely that these men traveled at least a thousand miles round trip to make it to Bethlehem. Remember, this is in the days before planes, trains, and automobiles. These guys were likely on the back of camels, which, I don't know, sounds like a special kind of saddle sore to me. I don't know. Listen, when they began this trip, they had no idea how long it would take. When they left their families... And they said, when are you going to be back? Their answer was, don't know. They did not know how far it would go. They just knew they needed the one promised by the star. By the way, it's a great little point. Wise men today do the same thing. We will do whatever it takes, as long as it takes to find Jesus. They found their way to Jerusalem. And through the advisors to King Herod, they discovered that the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod summoned the wise men, the magi, secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found that child, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now this is interesting. Bethlehem sits about six to seven miles from Jerusalem. The wise men traveled a thousand ish. Miles, round trip, to find the promised one. The leaders of Israel at the time were not willing to travel 12 to 14 miles round trip to see if the one that God had promised had actually shown up. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of people, I hate to say maybe some among us, north-south campus right now online, who want Jesus, but we want Jesus on our terms. We want him the way we want him. Listen to me. More than I think we can fathom, Jesus wants everyone to be in relationship with him. Every one of us. He longs for all of us to have the abundant life he came for us to have. But we must understand that we must come to him on his terms. And in no other way. That's what wise people do. After listening to the king, the text says, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. So the star wasn't there the whole time. It would come, it would go. It would come, and it would go. That's why Herod didn't know where the star was. And it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, say house. Notice what it doesn't say. Manger. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So I hate to tell you this. If you have a manger scene set up in your house as part of your decor right now, and you have the wise men there at the manger scene, Your manger scene is biblically inaccurate. Go home, gather up your wise men, and move them across the room. Preferably to the east. And that's where they were. I don't know if they were a day from when Jesus was born. I don't know if it was a week. I don't know if it was a month. Some scholars speculate up to two years That Mary and Joseph lived in the house because when Herod found he was duped by the wise men, he ordered that all the boys in Bethlehem two years and under would be put to death. We don't know how old Jesus was when the wise men found him. What we do know is this. They came, they worshipped him, and they brought him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Question. How many of you use essential oils? Hands up right now. Come on, be proud that you're using essential oils. Put them up right now. You got it right. This verse is like your verse right here. Get hold of it. This, by the way, is why we normally put three wise men in our manger scene. You know, the text never said how many wise men there was, but it says there were three gifts. No one comes to a baby shower without a gift, right? That's like proper etiquette. So they came with gifts. Now, this baby shower was like no other baby shower. You go to a baby shower, and by the way, I have discovered they're inviting men to baby showers these days. That just feels like wrong to me. But that's just, I'm old. All the guys are going, yeah, it's really wrong. I get it. Baby showers, you get gifts like diapers, you get pacifiers, you get bibs, you get cute clothes to put on. And every kid today, I've discovered through my grandkids, there's this toy giraffe that every kid gets. Do you you know what the toy giraffe is? Have you seen it yet? I looked it up this week, they said it's special. It's called Sophie the giraffe. Sophie the giraffe, a little plastic toy giraffe, Cost $26. $26! I can start a college fund with $26. These guys didn't bring overpriced plastic giraffes like Sophie. Their gifts were like over-the-top extravagant. Incredibly pricey. And what they didn't know was this. God in his sovereignty had used them to prophesy of the nature of the Messiah. Each gift said something about why he came. The gold, he came to take back over earth. Sin gave the authority of earth over to the evil one, but Jesus came to put the enemy at his feet again, and he will reign as king. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Myrrh, myrrh is used when somebody dies. and They put the spices on the body. You remember? On the third day, Mary, his mother, along with the other Marys, went to the tomb wondering how they were going to roll the stone away so that they could prepare his body properly. You know what they carried with them? Myrrh. It might have been this myrrh that Mary, his mother, had held on to for over three decades, not knowing exactly why it was brought that she was bringing that day to a tomb and she would never, ever have to use that myrrh he wasn't there he rose again we're going to talk about that next week but frankincense do you have any idea why there was frankincense which by the way frankincense is like a staple of the essential oils world in the ancient world um, frankincense very expensive in the ancient world was used in human health. It was an antiseptic, it was a diuretic, a sedative, several other things. So it was a very practical gift that they could use it to help keep um, Jesus and themselves very healthy. I'm just telling you, it's likely that Mary and Joseph lived off of the value of these gifts for a long time. They went from being a very poor couple in a very poor village to being pretty wealthy. That is reality. It tells you something about the wise men, by the way. They were pretty wealthy. They were like movers and shakers of society. I mean, it's not just anybody that gets to visit a king. But they show up to Jerusalem, all of a sudden they get access to the king of the region. It says something about them. Isn't it interesting? Two groups worshiped Jesus when he was a baby. Not both of them at the manger, but both of them part of that original Christmas story. One of them was a group of shepherds. They were there at the manger. There your manger scene is correct. They were known as the blue-collar guys, the everyday Joes, the kind of redneck, little rough around the edges, things like that, and the wise men, the socialites of the ancient world. It's like you had the spectrum of humanity. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He came for everyone because everyone needs him. But more than just a practical gift for their health, more than something to throw in our infusers today, frankincense was used for something else, something that we don't think of very much in our world anymore. It would be used by the priest in worship to God in the temple. What I need you to do this morning is I need you to put on your thinking cap a little bit. You're probably going to have to go back to your Bible and look at some things after this. Because one of the roles that Jesus came to fulfill, represented by the frankincense, was that of the high priest, a role that we need far more desperately than we know. You see, in the Old Testament, you read it, God had 12 tribes of Israel. One tribe, the Levites, were set aside as the priests. Priests represented the people to God. They were a go-between. People were separated from God, could not go to God themselves, but we had needs of God, and priests made a way for people to get to God. And the most important thing they did was offer sacrifices of animals in the temple. Why? Because of a thing called... Sin. You see, ever since that faithful moment in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to sin, infected humanity with it. There have really been two opposing forces on planet Earth. It is humanity's sinfulness and God's holiness. Listen to me. Christmas at its very heart is about sin. And I know now you're saying, bah humbug, I need help of some sort. Listen to me. It's about sin and what God did about sin. See, it is about sin and God's holiness and how man couldn't get to God. And Christmas will never be celebrated the way it was intended to be celebrated. It will never be the holiday it was intended to be until we grasp the seriousness of sin so we can understand the greatness of what God has done for us. See, the problem is, as a society, we don't even like to use the word sin. Sin implies an absolute, and we as a society, we don't like absolutes. Even when we make a mistake, we never say it was sin. We don't say, I sinned before God, I sinned before people. We say, I made a mistake. I had a misstep. I erred. I had a slip-up. We minimize sin. And I'm telling you, we minimize sin to our own detriment. Sin is man's ultimate issue before a holy God. Hear that word, holy. That is the word. That summarizes the reality of God. That word holy means to be separate, utterly other. God is perfect, is in every single way flawless, pure. There is no fault, no wrong, no stain in Him. Holiness, not one of the attributes of God, the summary word of God. God's love is holy, God's power is holy, God's grace, God's mercy, holy. It is why the angels, when they're worshiping right now, man, I wish somehow we could hear it, going around the throne of God right now, the angels are worshiping, the elders, according to Revelation, are laying down their throne at the feet of Jesus. And you know what they're saying? They're not saying love, love, love is God the Almighty. They're not saying grace, grace, grace is the Almighty, though we know he's full of love and grace. What they're saying is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. And when they finish it, they start again. Holy, holy, holy. From the beginning, far beyond the beginning of time, to past the end of time, all these angels will do, will cry of the holiness of the Almighty. And as a holy God, he can have nothing to do with that, with his unholy, which includes us. Sin separated us from God. In fact, the unholy must be punished. It is what his holy justice demands. It is why God hates sin. God doesn't hate sinners. God hates sin. Sin destroys. Sin separates. Sin demands justice. God in his love, God in his mercy doesn't want to punish. He wants to forgive. But here's what we struggle with. The only way for forgiveness to happen is that the innocent must stand in the place of the guilty. That is why there are animal sacrifices throughout the Old Old Testament. And those sacrifices weren't made by the people. The sacrifices were made by whom? The priest. The priest made a way for the people to get to God. There was one day that stood above every other day. Think with me. It was called the Day of Atonement. Say atonement. It was one day in the year. And on that day and that day only, the high priest went into a room of the temple that they only went into on that day. It was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. In the Most Holy Place stood the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you are excited because you're thinking, I'm going go Raiders of the Lost Ark on you here. It refers back to that except what the Ark we're talking about is real. Raiders of the Lost Ark are iffy, right? He would go into that place one day. And here's what they would do. Because of the holiness of God. They had a special robe for the high priest. On the bottom of the robe, there were bells. You know why there were bells? Because if he just wasn't right before God, as bright as he could be, he would be killed in the presence of God. When the bells stopped ringing, him moving around, they knew they had an issue. They also tied a rope to his ankle. Because if the fool fell over dead in the presence of God, they weren't going in after him. They were just going to pull him out, man. They were not going to go in there because they had an honor and respect for the holiness of God. When the high priest would go into the most holy place, you know what the first thing he did was? He would take frankincense and he would light it. And the aroma and the smoke would rise up into heaven as a prayer of the people crying out for the mercy of God. He would take a goat, a perfect, innocent goat, and he would slay it, and he would take his blood, and he would put it on the mercy seat, crying out to God that the blood of the innocent would take the place of the blood of the guilty. Hear me, it takes blood to atone for sin. After that, the priest, high priest would come out. He would lay his hand on another goat, representing the sins of the people being placed upon that goat. He stood between the people and God. He took upon them the sins, and he placed it on the goat. And symbolically, that goat would be released into the wilderness, representing that God in his mercy would separate humanity, um, separate people from their sins. By the way, if you've ever heard the English phrase scapegoat, heard scapegoat? comes from the Day of Atonement. A scapegoat is someone who is punished in place of somebody else in life. It comes from the biblical example on the Day of Atonement. Now, understand, many of us struggle with the idea of animal sacrifices. They seem crude. They seem backwards. They seem weird. They seem unfair, if not extreme. But listen to me. God, through animal sacrifices, was doing the extreme because he's tempting to communicate to you and I the soberness of our reality. He is holy and just and must punish sin, but he's also loving, wanting to extend mercy. But for forgiveness to be given, the price of atonement must be paid. And the blood of the animals, they were never enough in and of themselves. They were only a picture of what God had planned before creation to do. It's why the Hebrew writer says, Jesus came as what? High priest, don't miss us. He came in high priest of the good things that are already here. How many of you want the good things of God? Show your hands up right now. The rest of you are liars. We all want them. The high priest came to bring those things to us. He did not enter the most holy place by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus came as the high priest. You hearing it? to bridge the gap between our sins god's holiness we couldn't get to god we needed god we couldn't get to god for centuries god gave a picture of what he was going to do and the priest the priest would stand between god and the people so that the god would not consume the people in their sinfulness but it was only a picture of what god was going to do and then on the day jesus came the day he was born remember that thing we celebrated at christmas He had these wise men bring something of frankincense saying, we have a high priest who is going to get us to God so that all that we need could be met. See, Jesus came to do what no one else could do in a way no one else could do it. Christmas, listen to me, our high priest, we could be made new and brought into full relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is about. This and only this is why we celebrate Christmas. And everything about Christmas is meant to point to that. We've got lights up all over our physical campuses. you probably put some lights, some decor up at your house. You've probably had some fights in your house over putting lights up. It happens everywhere. You know what those lights represent? That in the midst of our darkness, our unholiness, God in his mercy, shine the light of Jesus. And those lights are meant to remind us that God did the unthinkable to shine light into our darkness. That Christmas tree we all put up, we have them behind me on our Um, South Campus, we have them on the platform of the North Campus or in your house. You know what that tree represents? The Bible says cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. Jesus was crucified on a tree. The curse of our sins were placed upon him, and that Christmas tree all lit up, all that decor is meant to celebrate the wonders of what God did for us on the tree. Those gifts that you're trying to give, trying to find just the right one, all the Amazon, Walmart, Target boxes that are showing up at your house right now, those gifts are to remind us of the gift. That the greatest gift ever given was given to us by Jesus Christ. See, Christmas, listen to me, it's about sin and about God's holiness and God sent his son as the high priest to bridge the gap, to atone for our sins once and for all. He won the battle over sin and the effects of sin. See, now you're saying, we don't need a priest. We don't have priests. I'm not a priest. You don't need a priest. Why don't you need a priest? Because you have a priest. His name is Jesus. Jesus. And he ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He prays for you like a priest. He intercedes for you like a priest. And he wants to give you and I the victory more and more in our life. He wants to empower us to walk through life. Hebrew says, we do not have a high priest. a high priest. Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we were but without sin. I mean, come on. There is something powerful about having a friend who's been where you have been and have walked where you have walked. Listen to me. Whatever it is you might be facing, Jesus has faced it. Whatever it is you might have dealt with, Jesus came as a high priest to become like one of us, to bridge the gap between all of us. And for him to do that, he had to experience the totality of our lives. In 33 short years, everything that we experience, he's there. He not only kind of understands, he really understands. Like I know that many of us are in stressful situations. Do you think Jesus understands stress? Think of the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane. And the stress of what God had called him to do was so great that he was not only pouring sweat, the capillaries in his face burst and blood began to mix with his sweat. He really understands stress. Have you ever been betrayed by anybody? coworker co-worker you thought you could trust, a friend that was supposed to have your six, a family member who was supposed to have your back? Jesus had a man that he invested three years of his life into every day. The totality of his being. This man saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw the lame walk. He saw those who were unable to speak, speak. He saw those who were deaf be able to hear. He saw all sorts of things. Yet three years into that relationship because Jesus wasn't doing that which he wanted him to do. He turned him over to the authorities. Not thinking, I don't think Judas thought they would kill him, but he ended up because of his testimony killing. Jesus really understands being betrayed. Come on. Do any of you have crazy people in your family? Hands up right now. Right? Come on. If you're not raising your hand, You might be the crazy one in your family is what I'm saying. (laughs) It's okay. Do you know Jesus' family called him the crazy one? His mama called him the crazy one. Before she got what he was about, she said something was wrong with him. His brothers, before they got it, called him crazy. He really understands. Are you facing the holidays after the death of someone in your family who died way too early? I can't tell you what happened. I just know this. I know that when Jesus was 12, he had a daddy named Joseph. A man who walked in great faith and who adopted him as his own. At age 30, his daddy wasn't there. I don't know what happened to Joseph. It's most likely that he died, but he could have abandoned ship. I don't know. I just know that he lost someone very important to him. And he faced day-to-day life without him. He really understands See, Jesus really understands people saying false things about you, accusing you falsely in life. Jesus really understands not feeling God's presence in times of darkness. You remember when he was on that cross, the most vulnerable moment of his life, sin was placed upon him, and how did he cry out? My God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I don't know where you are. Why have you not heard my groanings? He understands at a deep level Jesus, our high priest, doesn't kind of understand. He really understands. He even understands our struggle with sin. There are thousands of us gathered between our campuses and online, etc. And each one of us with unique lives and unique temptations. Not all of us face the same temptations, but Jesus faced whatever temptation any of us face. Everything hell could throw at a human, it threw at Jesus. Whatever you face, whatever I face, whatever you face, whatever you face online, whatever unique things it is we struggle with, Jesus faced that was without sin. And I know some of you think, well, (laughs) he doesn't know the shame of sin. He doesn't get that. He doesn't know the humiliation that we feel when we sin and such. But the scripture says, God made him who had no sin to be sin. For me. For us, so that through him I might have the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't deserve to feel the shame, but he felt it. He didn't deserve the humiliation, but he experienced it. He had never sinned, yet he was treated like a sinner. He became sin. All the guilt, remorse, embarrassment. I felt those this week. How about you? I felt guilt, I felt remorse, I felt embarrassment for the stupidity of my life that I cannot always overcome. Jesus really understands. and More than any of us will ever get, Jesus understands sin. But he was different than any priest that ever lived. Because through him and his understanding, He not only gets it, he not only offers to walk with us, but he says, I overcame it. I understand it. I overcame it. And I'll give you ability to overcome it. I'll give you power. That's the invitation. The Hebrew writer says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. And we think he doesn't get it. But then he says, Let us then approach the throne of what? Grace. How many of you need grace in your life right now? I need grace for this life. He says, Let us come with confidence. Why confidence? Because we have our act all together. No! Because we have such a great high priest he went before us and he made a way for us to be right with God we can come with confidence by the way if you've ever wondered why the common formula for the ending of prayer in today's age is to say in Jesus name amen it's because Jesus is our high priest it's trying to remember that I don't pray because of my own authority or my own ability but I'm able to pray I'm able to come to the throne of grace with confidence because of the name of Jesus It's become a formula that we've missed its significance, but we're supposed to come with confidence so that we may receive mercy. I need mercy. And we might find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, Jesus, who really understands the realities of our lives like no others, offers us what no one else can offer. As the high priest, Jesus can give grace for whatever we need. Hear me. He doesn't condemn us for our needs. Some of us look in the mirror and we think, how can God have anything to do with you? Because of your struggles and your needs and your problems. He doesn't look down on us because of our weaknesses. He doesn't despise us because of our struggle with sin. He really understands. And he offers not just to be with us, but to empower us that whatever station of life we are in, we can be victorious. Jesus came as a high priest. So here's my challenge for you. This week, I want you to make a purchase. You ready? It's real simple. I want you to buy some frankincense. I don't sell essential oils, okay? So you don't have to go to my site, anything like that. I don't know anybody who does. If you do, great, use them. But I bet places like Amazon have frankincense. You can get it in two days. I want you to get some frankincense and whatever you can do to get that smell inside you. There's something powerful about our senses and we miss it sometimes. And I just want you to get some frankincense and either put it on, you may not like it, put it in an infuser, I, I don't care what you do with it. And whenever you feel like that life is overwhelming, I want you to pull it out. And I want you to remember, put it back up here guys. Jesus is a high priest. He really understands. And not only does he understand because of what he did, he has a grace for you and I. I want you to use that frankincense as a reminder to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that you can receive the grace you need in time of need. And his grace, I'm telling you, will be sufficient for whatever life throws at you. Can we be honest about Christmas? The Christmas season magnifies life, does it not? It magnifies the good, it magnifies the bad. There's a lot of wonderful things in life. And Christmas can magnify those wonderful things, it's great, but there's also difficulties. I mean, the reality of life is that there's still good and there's still evil, there's still darkness and there's light. And sometimes it feels like darkness is overcoming light, even though we know in the end, light is going to win. Sometimes in the now, it feels like darkness is winning. We know that righteousness is going to prevail when Jesus returns, but sometimes it feels like in the now evil is winning. And in those moments, in the moments of need, Jesus implores us. This season, he actually commands us, go to the throne of grace. Receive the mercy you need. Receive the grace you need. So that's what we're going to do. Before we leave, we're going to approach the throne of grace right now. So what I want you to do, both campuses, I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to whisper what you normally end your prayers with. I just want you to say, Father, I come in Jesus' name. Just do it and say, Father, I come in Jesus' name. I come not because of myself, because I have a high priest who stood in the gap for me. I come in his name. I come with confidence because of his blood and because of his work as a priest. You there? That's all you gotta do. Isn't that amazing? There's no temple because you've been made a temple of the Almighty by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no animals to be sacrificed because Jesus shed his blood once and for all live in an amazing day all we got to do is say i have a father and his ear turns to us because of jesus it is incredible and i ask you right now what are the needs of your life and are you willing to bring them to him? it's it's that simple that's what he wants you want to know what jesus wants for christmas he wants you to bring your needs to him because it says that he is the all-sufficient one and you are not See, maybe you're in the most wonderful season of your life and you can just give thanks for that season. We all have them, that's great. But maybe you're in that season when it feels like darkness is prevailing over light, that evil is prevailing over righteousness and you have needs in your life. Here's what I want you to do. If you need a special touch of grace, you just want the touch of grace from our high priest. I want you to do this. I want you to do what we normally do at the end of service. I want you to take your hands, I want you to open them up and place them on your lap in a posture of receiving. Just turn them up and say, God, I need grace. If you need something today, it doesn't matter what it is. So whatever the need is, you're releasing it to God right now. And saying, God, I don't know how this is going to resolve. I don't know how this is going to fix. I just know I have a need. And whatever that need is, I am declaring your grace is sufficient for that need. And I come and I receive that grace. You need perseverance. You need joy. You need peace. You need righteousness. You need the ability to overcome sin. You need to love people who aren't very lovable. I mean, you just name it, whatever it might be. I declare over you, his grace is sufficient. He he really understands. He gets it. He gets difficult family members. He gets difficult people. He gets the struggle with sin. He's not despising you. He's not condemning you. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus brings him joy that you would come to him. This is the way he wants us to live life. Just opening our hands in a symbol of saying, I need you. I can release the issues of life to you. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for getting me. Give me grace, Lord. And there's an impartation of grace right now. I declare it. Whatever it is we need. Joy in the midst of difficulty. Hope. Perseverance. Maybe you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. What you really think is, well, I need to get my life straightened up. I need to go to church more. Here's what you need to do. You need to open your hands and your palms, and you say, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you, and I receive your life. It's at the same time the easiest thing and the hardest thing to do. Because it's a free gift that costs us everything. Give it to Him. Best return on investment you'll ever give, and you'll be made brand new right now. You receiving it, so Father, I ask that we would have confidence that you have enough grace for each and every one of us for everything you have called us to. Forgive us, O oh God, when we have trusted ourselves, we've trusted our own strength, our own abilities. We say with open hand, O oh God, we cannot do this life the way you want us to do it without you we give you all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the decisions, all the problems, and we receive grace to live exactly the way you want us to live. We receive forgiveness. We receive power to live victorious. We receive your grace. And I pray, Father, that we would have an impartation of the knowledge that you really, really, really understand. And that you have grace for us in the midst of our weaknesses. Thank you for being the high priest. And we worship you as our great high priest. And we come because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.